0: good morning, everyone. I'm so glad that you're here with us. I hope you enjoyed the kids coming in and singing. I sure did. It's awesome to see them all dressed up and uh, hear them singing to the Lord. My name's Aaron, and I'm one of the pastors here at Bridgewater. And we are in the second week of a series that we're calling Hopes and Fears. And frankly, I think it's it's very appropriate, um, honestly, for this time of year. There's a couple of reasons why I think it's appropriate, but I remember as a kid, Christmas was like the most exciting and the most hope-filled time. Does anybody remember that? Okay, if you're not raising your hand, you're you're, you're a little too old, and you just, no, I'm sorry, I'm kidding. But you, you remember that, right? You remember like all the hope and the joy and the excitement of Christmas? Yes? Okay, Randy, come on, shake your head. You got it. Okay, good, all right. But I've experienced something different. Now as an adult and as a parent and being probably in the you know, middle portion of my life, I've experienced that while, yeah, there's so much fun and, and joy watching your kids grow up and doing things with your, your children and family and, and whatnot, as an adult, I've experienced some different emotions around the holidays. I've experienced the realities that there are real world fears, Things that are heavy and hard to deal with. This year has really been no different. Maybe you can identify with me. I mean, if you've spent much time watching the news this year, you've realized that there are fears just about everywhere. Just here in Vestal alone, we had, we had schools locked down twice this week. There are very real fears And yet, that song that we've been looking at each week, O Little Town of Bethlehem, that was written in the 1860s, and I'll tell you the story about it on Christmas Eve. I'm not going to give it away until then, but the line in that song that says, the hopes and fears of all the years are met in thee tonight, talking about Jesus, it just keeps playing over and over in my head. And it made me stop and think about, okay, wait a minute, what kind of fears do we have today and how in the world does Jesus do something about our very present fears, the fears that I have about whether or not we'll be able to pay the bills, right? You've you've experienced those. Fears about the economy, fears about, you know, what's going on in the political landscape in the United States, fears, I mean, there, there can be all sorts of real world fears. And how does Jesus... Do something about that for my present fears. Last week, we talked about our fears about the past. Today, I want to talk with you a little bit about our fears for the present. And to do that, we're going to have a little different type of talk today. Um, I want to go back and look at what the world was like when Jesus was born. I want to go back and wrestle with a number of questions. In fact, uh, by the time we're done, I'll wrestle with seven questions about what was the world like and what was going on when Jesus was born. We're going to eventually get to Luke chapter two. So if, you want to, if you're one of those people that wants to have your Bible open and follow along, you can go there. But, but it's going to take me a little bit of time to get to some of the background. So let me walk you through these seven questions. Question number one is this What was the world like when? Jesus was born. Well, Luke gives us a little bit of insight. Luke is one of the New Testament gospel writers. He never walked with Jesus. He was just a guy that, that wrote, he he did all kinds of research. He was a doctor. You know, he was focused on getting good information and, and presenting a, a good case. So he did a ton of research, and he wrote this book that we now have that's called The Gospel of Luke. And in chapter 1, he has this to say, starting in verse 68. He says, praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel. Now, who he's quoting here, let me give you an idea. Okay, He's, he's cl- quoting a man who was the father of John the Baptist. His name was Zechariah. And when John the Baptist was born, um, Zechariah, who was not able to speak during the whole time of his wife's pregnancy, he all of a sudden could speak, and so he started praising God. And this is what he said. He says, praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come to his people and redeemed them. In other words, Zechariah knew that John was coming to be like a forerunner to tell us that Jesus was coming, the Messiah was coming. So he's saying, praise be to God, because God's doing something. And then he goes on in verse 69, and it says this. He's raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he has said through his prophets long ago. The idea of a horn being, if can back up, a horn is a stronghold, something very, very tough, And basically, he's saying he's provided a stronghold of salvation for us. Then he goes on in verse 70, and he says, salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us to rescue us from the hand of our enemies. What's going on here? Zechariah is accounting what was actually happening in the world at that time. The nation of Israel, they were controlled by another nation. They didn't have freedom. They were controlled by the nation of Rome. Rome was in charge of everything. And essentially what Zechariah is saying is, look, God's doing something. There's a reality. The world is tough right now. There are people who hate us. There are people who are enemies. They are the ones who are in charge of us. So something was going on that was pretty rough. Let me share with you a little bit about the nation of, it, of, of Rome. One particular historian says this about Rome. His name is Josephus. He says this, for their nation does not wait for the outbreak of war to give men their first lessons on arms they do not sit with folded hands in peacetime only to put them in motion in the hour of need on the contrary as though they had been born with weapons in hand they never have a truce from training never waiting for emergencies to arise he goes on and he says this he says moreover their peace maneuvers are no less strenuous than veritable warfare each soldier daily throws all his energy into his drill as though he were in action hence the perfect ease with which they sustain the shock of battle no confusion breaks their customary formation no panic paralyzes no fatigue exhausts them and as their opponents cannot match these qualities victory is the invariable and certain consequence Josephus tells us something about what Rome was like and what the Roman army was like in the time when Jesus was born. So when we read the story of Jesus and we wrestle with, okay, what was it like and how does that have anything to do with today? Here's something very interesting. The world when Jesus was born was ruled by the political and military strength of the Roman Empire. That's what the world was like. I mean, imagine with me We've, we've watched over this last year a war taking place between Russia and Ukraine and, and all of that. Imagine with me if, if Russia had invaded the United States and conquered the United States and they were now in control. That was the world into which Jesus was born. Rome controlled all of the Mediterranean Sea. Everything that was the known world at that time, Rome controlled it. And nobody could seemingly stop them. That's the world that Jesus was born into. Question number two How did the Roman Empire rule the world? How did they do it? I mean, what, what was it like at that time? Well, the reality is that they ruled with brutality, force, and fear. And we, we may have a lot to complain about and, and say about governments in our world today. We may feel like things are rough for us, but really life under the rule of the Roman Empire was downright terrifying. It's hard for us to imagine. Uh, let, me, let me just tell you a little bit about it. If you were a marginalized person or a person who didn't have strength or power or people on your side in the Roman Empire, you were in trouble okay one of the greatest examples of how rome ruled with brutality and force and fear is that they took something that had been developed years before and 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 they perfected it it's something that we today call crucifixion and they used it really to to strike fear in the hearts of people one of the greatest examples of this comes from a little bit before Jesus was born, there was an uprising by, by a, a slave, a man who was a gladiator. His name was Spartacus. Ever, ever heard that name before? There's a very famous movie made about his revolt. Spartacus, you know, was just trying to escape where the, the slavery that he was pushed into, and, and he got all kinds of people to go with them or with him. And over time, as they went with him, you know, they started fighting battles against the Roman armies. And because they were, they were small and light and they could do these, you know, quick attacks, they, they started winning. And eventually, Rome was like, that's it. I've had enough. <laughs> and so they mobilized, like, the entire army to go find Spartacus and destroy him. And 6,000 slaves were captured something happened. Rome decided we're going to make sure that this never happens again. So they took those 6,000 slaves and they crucified them. Each one, 100 feet apart, crucified at eye level on something called the Appian Way. It was the most used highway at that time. In fact, we have a famous piece of artwork that shows us. Now, if you can imagine with me, they crucified them 100 feet apart on both sides of the road, six. 1,000 people crucified. It stretched 120 miles. You want to talk about brutality? You want to talk about a world that's messed up and broken? That's the world into which Jesus was born. That's the culture. That's the context. That's what was happening when Jesus showed up on the scene. You see, the the Roman Empire ruled with brutality and fear, which raises the the third question, well, who ruled the Roman Empire? Who was in charge? When Jesus showed up, Rome had become an empire, which means that Rome was ruled by the Caesars. You have probably heard about this. Probably the most well-known guy named Caesar is Julius Caesar. He's the one who started the transition from Rome being a republic, you know, ruled kind of by a a group of senators and, and leaders, to now it being ruled solely by a dictatorship. Julius Caesar, though, had an adopted son. His adopted son is most well known today by the name Augustus or Augustus, Caesar Augustus. And Augustus finished the transition from Rome being a republic to Rome being an empire in AD 27 when his adopted father died. And right as they were commemorating his death, there was a, a, a crazy astrological event. There was a comet that stretched across the sky for seven straight days. And, and, and Augustus he he took hold of that idea. He was very smart and wily. He took hold of that idea. Here's this comet as the remembering his adopted father. And he said, That is my father ascending to be a God. And then Augustus took it and he said, Which makes me the son of a God. In fact, as I'll tell you in a bit, Augustus, or show you in a bit, Augustus had. Coins made and sent all throughout the Roman Empire that had his likeness on it and declared that he was the son of God or the son of a god. Who who ruled the world? Who ruled the Roman Empire? The Caesars. They were the ones... Who were in charge. And Augustus came to power through a victory in a civil war. And then, from then on, even though he tried to re- maintain this image of, of Rome being a republic, it was actually exercised in such a way that he had absolute power. He had power and control over the military. And that meant that he was greatly feared. If you crossed him, you were going to die. That's the way. It was. Which leads us to Luke chapter 2. And the very first verse helps us understand what was happening. This is what the world was like when Jesus was born in those days. Caesar Augustus, the Caesar Augustus that we've just been talking about, who declared himself to be the son of a God, he issued a decree. And a, that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. That is the world that Jesus was born into. Now, what was the world like under Caesar? What was life like? Under Caesar Augustus. Well, a couple of things that you need to know. First and foremost, Caesar declared himself to be the son of a God. Like I said, here's, here's a couple of pictures of those coins that I mentioned. You see the inscription Caesar Augustus. And then it declares that he is, the, he is, you know, son of a God. And you see the picture of the comet. He's essentially saying, my father has ascended to be a God and guess what I am? I'm the son of a God. You can imagine what it was like for your ruler, your leader, your king to say, I am the son of a God. The poet Virgil, he was a first century Roman poet, first century B.C. Roman poet. He said this. He said, Caesar is the son of a God. Salvation is to be found in none other save Augustus. Augustus is reigning in the fullness of his glory. The entire empire resounds with the sound of the Advent proclamation. Isn't it interesting? So many of these words end up being words that we would read in the New Testament. You, You understand, this is what the world was like when Jesus was born into it. Caesar had declared himself to be the son of a God. Second, you need to know that he offered peace and forgiveness, but he only offered peace and forgiveness to his people. Anybody who said, yep, I'm with Caesar, Caesar is God, yep, I'm with him, then he would offer peace and forgiveness to them. But anybody else, you wouldn't want to know what happened. The reality is, it was rough under Caesar, That same poet, Virgil, he said this about Augustus. He said, Augustus would be a divine king, the the one the world had been waiting for, the one who would bring salvation to all the earth, freeing the people from fear and establishing a universal empire of peace. If you ever read Virgil, I'm not so sure he actually believed that, but he's accounting what was being said at the time. This is the world. That Jesus was born into I mean it was rough which brings us to question number five how in the world did Caesar get so powerful how do you how do you get to a place where he was controlling the whole thing how did he get so powerful well here's how he had a massive army See, the the Roman armies would invade and they would demand and they would say wherever they were invading, they would win and then they would demand, they'd say, say Caesar is Lord or die. You choose your choice, one or the other, which is it going to be? And then, guess what? When you said Caesar is Lord, then you became his servant and your nation, your area, your town, your state, it all became under the rule of Of Caesar. Sounds pretty rough. Here's what I find. Under Caesar Augustus, during the time of Jesus' birth, there was a blending of political and religious rule that required that you worship Caesar as God. If you wanted to live at peace in the Roman Empire, if you wanted to to be able to live quietly, you had to say Caesar is God and you had to worship him. That's the way it had to be. You couldn't just say he's a good king. You couldn't just say we like Rome, we like living in Rome. You know, it it wasn't anything like that. You didn't have to stand and say the Pledge of Allegiance. It wasn't that. You had to worship him as God. And that's the world into which Jesus was born. That's the world in which he came. Question number six. How did he pay for such a massive army? How did, how did Caesar, how did Rome pay for this army that, that kept the entire known world in check? How did he do that? Well, here's the answer. Massive taxation. You, you, we think our taxes are bad, right? Right? I mean, well, I won't say anything about that. But we we think our taxes are bad. Some scholars think that in certain portions of the Roman Empire, taxation, the taxation rates were up to between 80 and 90%. You think your taxes are bad? That they could just go in by force, and if they needed money, they could go any place, and they could say, hey, hand it over. Who's going to stop them? That's the world into which Jesus was born. And certainly there are things in our world today that are difficult, but that is the world into which Jesus was born. Question number seven. If you need to know how much in taxes you should receive, well, how in the world do you find out? How do, you, how do you find out how much you can tax? And how do you find out, like, how much you should be receiving from an area? Like, we live in New York. How, much do we, how do we know how much we should be receiving in New York or PA or whatever it may be? How do you find out? Well, it's very simple. You require a census. And that's what Augustus did. See, in Luke chapter 2, that's what's going on. I want you to know and understand, I want you to feel what was happening in the world when Jesus was born. When you read this very first verse of Luke chapter 2, it's so easy to read it and go, Hey, like, okay, it sounds so peaceful. Oh, look, Caesar Augustus must have been a really good guy. He's having a census. Oh, that's nice. So they all went to their towns. Ah." Oh. And it's so easy for us to do that. We, we, we do things today. We, we have manger scenes, and, we, and it, it looks so peaceful, but you need to grasp and understand the world into which Jesus was born. You need to grasp and understand that it was a world that was c- controlled by brutality and force, and there was no law except the law of power. And that's the world into which Jesus was born. So Luke tells us in those days, Caesar Augustus, who called himself son of a God, issued a decree, it wasn't a suggestion, it was a demand, issued a decree that said a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. Then Luke tells us this was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. The interesting thing is this is a very, he's he's giving us something that we can go and check, and this is what I love about the Bible that you can verify it. You can find out that there were these leaders. You can study history. You can find evidence and archaeology that that demonstrate for us that this is not just some made up story. That these things actually occurred, and what happened is that. They're taking the senses, and so everyone, what? Verse 3, everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and the line of David. Verse 5 tells us that he went there to register with Mary, who he was pledged to be married to she was expecting a child if we read back in chapter one we find that she's actually expecting a child that it that at least luke is telling us that that child was placed in her womb by god that mary was a virgin something strange is happening she ends up in bethlehem and look at what occurs In verse 6, while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. Now, here's, here's the thing. This is the description. The first seven verses of chapter two give us the description of the birth of Jesus. But I want you to grasp and understand that while we're talking about the fact that he brings hope in the midst of our fears, you have to understand what the world was like. The fears that were dominating things in their world at that time. I mean, imagine with me the fears that were taking place at the first Christmas. Economically, taxation is absolutely unbearable. You want to talk about economic fears because of a recession? The fears that we have? I don't think they even come close. Politically, Rome is ruling. No one is free. No one can argue against the Caesars. You get to vote. I get to vote. I mean, I'm not saying we don't have reason for fears or concerns or things like that. But the reality is things were bleak at the first Christmas prophetically, one that the text doesn't even tell us anything about, and you have to go into your Old Testament and read to understand, is this, prophetically, God had been silent for 400 years. Something that hadn't happened since the time of Abraham. God had been speaking. You have to go back 2,000 years. God had been speaking to the nation of Israel time and time and time and time and time and time again. And all of a sudden, for 400 years... He's quiet. You want to talk about fears? Religiously? Caesar is declaring himself to be a god. You want to talk about fears about religious freedom? The world into which Jesus was born was dark and difficult and painful. And it's that world in which we find the rest of the story in Luke chapter 2. In verse 8, look at what occurs. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby. Where nearby? Here in in Bethlehem. Nearby this stable where Mary and Joseph, Mary has just given birth. And she's wrapped this child child in swaddling clothes. And very nearby, these shepherds are out there. They're keeping watch over their flocks by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. That's interesting. These words should pop out to you. They bring good news. They're bringing us something that will bring great joy for all the people. There probably wasn't very much in that day, I would guess, that that you could go, man, this is going to bring us great joy. What? You mean Rome's overthrown? What? You mean Caesar's dead? What? You mean, cool, we we aren't controlled by these armies anymore? No, that's not the good news. I'm bringing you something else bring you something else. Something that will bring you great hope. It won't be instantaneous, but it will change everything. He says this in verse 11. Today, in the town of David, a savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord all of a sudden bursting on the scene in a very remote portion of the Roman empire in in a time and place where everything was difficult and dark now there's an opportunity for us to no longer be controlled by our fears imagine that's the world into which jesus is born Luke chapter four goes on and tells us this. He says, this talking about Jesus, Jesus going back to his hometown. This is 30 years later after his birth. He's all grown up and he goes back to his hometown to Nazareth and in it, it says this. He went to Nazareth where he'd been brought up and on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue, a gathering place for all of the the Jewish people. They would gather and read the the scriptures and, and pray and worship together. Jesus goes in on the Sabbath to do that. from Isaiah, the prophecy is about the, the coming Messiah. The Messiah is going to set captives free. He's going to restore sight to the blind. He's going to deliver people from captivity. You see, he's, he's going to do so much. And then he, he takes the scroll, he rolls it back up, he hands it to them, and he sits down and he says this. Look at what the text says. After he gave it back, he sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. He began by saying to them, today... This scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. What's going on? Essentially, Jesus is saying there is hope. You you have very real fears about Rome. You have very real fears about your, your finances. You have very real fears about your family and your safety and all of that. And Jesus is saying, hey, there is hope. And something happened. Here, here's what you got to catch: something happened from this point on in Luke. A very small group of people in in a backwoods portion, a, a, a no name portion, of Galilee, a no name area of the Roman Empire. In that area, a few people started whispering instead of saying Caesar is Lord. A few people just started to catch, "Hey, Jesus." is Lord. Jesus is Lord. Despite all the fears and all of the difficulties and all of the pain and all of it, they started to whisper and go, there is hope because Jesus is here. And his birth didn't change anything instantaneously, but little by little, it started to change Everything. See, here's the here's the truth. I believe this, and we've taken the, the last 20 plus minutes to get to this point where we can realize that the fears of this life actually lose their powers because Jesus is on the scene. Here's where I'm going. I know you have fears for the present. So do I. I know you have fears about how things are going to get taken care of and what the future is going to look like and whether or not your family will be okay. And, and you, you know, some of you are here today and you have very real fears about your job situation and you have very real fears about loved ones. And here's the reality. Jesus showed up to change Everything. The world in which he was born was dark. And it's not as if people didn't have those same fears then. And all of a sudden, as soon as he's on the scene, a very small group of people just started going, hey, there's something available. There's there's something different. There's something there. And maybe... Maybe things are about to change. Now, here's the thing. I wonder if you'd take a minute and just wrestle with a couple of questions to end with me here today. Okay? The first one I want to ask you is is this What is causing you fear this Christmas? Is it economical? Is it political? Is it familial, family? Is it, is it religious? Do you have fears about what's happening in our, in our country? Do you have fears with your children? What, what is it that's causing you fear? See, God meets our fears with his presence. And Jesus showing up On the scene, in the midst of one of the darkest times in human history, Jesus shows up just in time. And it doesn't, again, it didn't change everything instantaneously, but bit by bit by bit by bit, Jesus is changing everything. And I just wonder what would happen if we would begin to grasp how big of a deal it is that Jesus showed up exactly when he did and did what he did exactly when he did it. That he died in our place. He didn't show up and print coins and say, Jesus is Lord and send it out to everybody and make sure that everybody agreed with him or they died. There was none of that. He said, no, I am Lord and here's the deal. Rather than demanding that you agree with me or die, I will die for you. That's, that's King Jesus. Our fears met in Jesus the scary thing to me is that I found that what I hope in what I put my hope in is what is really my king and I find it so easy to put my hope in money and circumstances and and in my feelings and emotions and so it makes me wrestle with this question where am I looking for hope And I want to tell you, I want to urge you, in the midst of your very real fears today, fears for your present, there is hope in Jesus. So my question for you is this, who or what is your king? In Jesus' day, it was Caesar, and he demanded But Jesus came, and just a few people started to catch it, and then it spread more and more. And I wonder what would happen if you and I, in the midst of this season, that can be filled with very real fears. I wonder what would happen if we would stop plotting and scheming and trying to find ways to fix all of our problems and worrying and this and that. And what if we would commit to just this week for the next Seven days between now and Christmas to say, instead of plotting and scheming, I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray and ask God to work with my very real fears. Here's what I think would happen. I think he'd meet you with hope. And I think you'd see him move. So I want to ask you, I have a feeling that if you would take this week and pray, if you would commit yourself here today to take the next seven days and be honest about your fears and pray about them, I have a feeling you will see him move. I think you'll see him work. What if you started praying for your family that you're concerned about? What if you started praying and asking him to take care of the the very real financial concerns? What if you started praying for our country and for our world and started praying for our leaders? I just wonder... What would happen if instead of fretting, we would pray? Because Jesus is here. Father, thank you for Jesus. Thank you that my very real fears are met in him. Thank you that my fears for the present My fears for the things going on in my world and in my family and in my life and for this gathering of people. Thank you that those fears are silenced because I know that you are working in such a powerful way that Jesus has showed up. He has showed up to bring, to restore sight to the blind, to set the captives free, to declare the Lord's favor. The Lord's favor is now available through Jesus. I don't care who is here and what they've done or where they've been. The Lord's favor is available through Jesus. God, I pray that we would turn to you and trust you. I ask in Jesus' name, amen.